Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonathan Coleman the face behind Dr. Coleman's Lexington History Walks. You may often see me downtown donning my famous top hat with a group behind me as I tell stories of Lexington's history. And that includes some spirit scandals and sordid secrets. Lexington has a robust history of ghost stories. And I always think it's a lot of fun uh, to get to share them, not only with Lexingtonians, but people who are visiting us from around the world. I have a couple that are real favorites. Probably one of my favorites happens on 2nd Street. And there's a giant old house built in 1800 or so uh, called the January House. Beautiful name for a beautiful house. Uh, It was built by Thomas January. We know this to be true. It actually became an Episcopal seminary. And then later, around the 1830s, 1840s, The house is owned by a man named Tobias Gibson. This is where the ghost story comes from. Uh, Tobias Gibson was a wealthy plantation owner from Louisiana. Uh, He apparently spent his summers here in Kentucky with his family and his beautiful young daughter, Sarah, Sarah Gibson. Uh, He adds the large columns you see in front of the house today in the front parlors of the big old mansion. He places these large gilded pier mirrors. And he's doing all of this work because the event of the year is getting ready to happen in those parlors, the marriage of his daughter, Sarah Gibson. Everyone in town shows up to see this famous wedding, with one exception, the groom. Sarah gets stood up at the altar. Uh, And as the old story goes, Sarah, heartbroken, despondent, no doubt a little bit embarrassed, climbs to the second floor and flings herself very dramatically uh, from the railings. And ever since then, supposedly, the spirit of Sarah Gibson still appears in the house and the mirrors placed there in the front parlor for the wedding that would never happen. In fact, the ghost of Sarah Gibson becomes so famous that everyone who knew anything about the January house knew, of course, that if you walked in, there was a good chance Sarah Gibson would appear in those mirrors uh, to scare the living daylights out of you. By 1950, the house had come into the hands of a rather eccentric man. His name was Kimbrell Underwood. Now, Kimbrell um, was not scared at all by the ghost of Sarah Gibson. Uh, in fact, he considered Sarah to be one of his very best friends. Uh, so they would have these long, drawn-out conversations, Sarah sitting on her side of the mirror, Kimbrell on our side of the mirror. Uh, and he tells Sarah she needs to have her portrait painted. All young ladies have their portraits painted. And he knew exactly the person to do it himself. He just happened to be a portrait painter. So on that fateful day, uh, 68 years ago, uh, Kimberl Underwood sat down on our side of the mirror with his paint, his canvas. Uh, Sarah sits on her side, uh, and he paints the portrait of his good friend, the ghost of Sarah Gibson. Uh, So that portrait is still hanging in the January house today, exactly where Kimbrell put it 68 years ago between the mirrors, uh, where Sarah would so often appear. Apparently, she's a bit more hesitant nowadays. She doesn't make appearances like she used to. But you can still see the ghost 
of Sarah Gibson. If you happen to be walking down 2nd Street, uh, around Halloween, the current owner, very good sport, every now and then he'll get a wild hair. Uh, and very close to Halloween, he'll often take that portrait down, place it on an easel, and put it right there in the front window of the January house so that folks walking by uh, can see the famous ghost of Sarah Gibson, the good friend of Kimbrell Underwood. Uh, certainly one of my favorite little stories. I'm often asked if I think the ghost looks like Sarah Gibson. Sadly, we don't know what Sarah Gibson looked like. In my opinion, the portrait looks a little bit like Kimberl Underwood. <laughs> the earliest ghost story I know of in Lexington dates all the way back to the founding of the city itself. So Lexington is founded in 1775. By the early 1780s, it's a fairly sizable fort out in the middle of nowhere in the Wild West of Kentucky. Uh, of course, the American Revolution, the fighting is still hot and heavy here in Kentucky. And there is a station a little farther north from the Fort of Lexington, Bryan Station. And it's under attack uh, by Shawnee Indians, I believe, led by a British commander. The men from Lexington, they hear about this fight, and they're going to go off and help their fellow pioneers at Bryan Station. Uh, their commander, apparently, was a man named Colonel John Todd. Well, by the time the men from Lexington make it to Bryan Station, uh, the British and the Shawnee, they've retreated. Uh, the blood is pumping. The adrenaline is rushing. The men want to fight. And so Colonel John Todd decides they're all going to go give chase. Well, the second in command, he's a bit more level-headed, uh, he says there's too many broken branches. There are too many footprints. If the Shawnee were really retreating, they would have done a much better job at it. Uh, they should have listened to this man. His name was Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone knew a little bit about surviving. And he's right. When the men from Lexington make it to a little creek called the Blue Licks, the Shawnee, the British, are lying in wait. And there, in about 30 minutes or so, Half of Lexington's adult male population is wiped off the face of the earth, including Colonel John Todd uh, and including Daniel Boone's 20-year-old son. The men, they gather up the bodies of their brothers, their sons, their fathers, uh, and they start the trip back to Lexington. Lexington would have been just uh, a wooden wall fort at the time, surrounded uh, by several hundred acres of tall corn. And as the men approach the Fort of Lexington, they have to drag those bodies through the drying corn. Uh, and by the time they ever make it to the walls of the Fort of Lexington, they can already hear the cries and the wails as those inside see those bodies coming back uh, as they first learned of the Battle of the Blue Licks. Uh, as late as the 1920s, uh, one Lexington newspaper wrote, uh, if you were down on Main Street, around Broadway, where the old fort used to stand, surrounded by those acres of corn, uh, you could still hear the cries and the wails coming from those early settlers of Lexington as they first heard of the bloody battle of the Blue Licks, our earliest ghost. Lexington has famous ghosts as well. In fact, we have a ghost of a first lady 
Mary Todd Lincoln herself. Now, of course, Mary Todd Lincoln was born here in Lexington in 1818, almost 200 years ago. Um, And she was a well-educated young lady. She had several teachers that she was close to. Her first teacher as a young girl, his name was the Reverend John Ward, and he was the minister at Christ Church, uh, the Episcopal Church here in town. In 1847, Mary Todd was now Mary Lincoln. And in November of that year, she spends three weeks here in her old hometown. Uh, And as the legend goes, she visits her teacher, the Reverend John Ward, who by that time was living on 2nd Street. It was a nice visit. She had a lot to be uh, proud of. Uh, She was returning back here to her old hometown. She's a young wife. She's a young mother. She's showing off that tall, skinny husband of hers to all of her old friends. She goes up to see her teacher, the Reverend John Ward, introduces Abraham Lincoln to the minister, and proud as a peacock. In fact, Mary and Abraham, they're on their way to Washington. Lincoln has been elected to his first and what would end up being his only term in Congress from the state of Illinois. Uh, So Mary uh, has a lot to be proud about. If you know much, about Mary Lincoln's life, though, you know there aren't many happy moments in it, like November of 1847 must have been for her. Of course, she's sitting beside her husband in 1865 when he shot through the back of the head. She and Lincoln, they have four children. She'll bury three of them during her lifetime. The one child that survives her puts her away into an insane asylum against her will. It's a life absolutely wrecked by tragedy. So the old story is that Mary Lincoln prefers to stay in 1847. When she's a young wife, a young mother, has the whole world before her. She is seen in the house of her old teacher on 2nd Street, always smiling from ear to ear, happy to be there. Uh, In fact, the current owners, they always keep a light on on the third floor tower room, the room where Mary Lincoln supposedly shows up the most often, uh, just in case uh, she decides to show up that night. Uh, Now, I do have to be honest with you. There are three houses here in the city that claim to be haunted by Mary Lincoln. Now, Mary Lincoln would like this. Uh, Mary Lincoln herself was a practicing spiritualist. Uh, So she claimed to have seen ghosts, the ghost of her brother, uh, the ghost of her son. Uh, Mary Lincoln participated in seances. She believed one could contact the dead. So if anyone is going to spend some time going through her (laughs) old haunting grounds, it would be Mary Lincoln. So there's a house in Lexington where she appears as a little girl. There's the house where she appears as a young wife, a young mother, and a third house where she appears as a widow. Uh, So it's good to know that Mary Lincoln is still making the rounds in her old hometown. One of the oldest ghost stories that I tell, in fact, I believe it may be the oldest, certainly one of the oldest continuously told ghost stories in the state of Kentucky, is just a couple of blocks away from the January house. And that's in Hopemont, or the Hunt Morgan house. Beautiful house built in 1814 uh, by Kentucky's first millionaire, John Wesley Hunt. Uh, John Wesley Hunt will have a famous grandson, Uh, John Hunt Morgan. If you were a Southerner during the Civil War, John Hunt Morgan was called the Thunderbolt of the Confederacy. Uh, If you were a Northerner, 
he was a terrorist. Uh, he went into southern Indiana, southern Ohio, wrestled up horses for the Confederacy to use. And it's around John Hunt Morgan that this story is built. Apparently around 1863, he is visiting his mother there in Hopemont, and he brings gifts, including a pair of red leather shoes. Now, the red leather shoes were for a woman. Uh, her name was Bouvette James. Uh, we do know that Bouvette James was a real person. Uh, she was enslaved by the Hunt Morgan family there at Hopemont. Uh, in fact, you can find her tombstone in Lexington Cemetery. She's buried with the Hunt Morgan family. Uh, and on her tombstone, it says, Here lies Bouvette James, ever faithful. Um, Bouvette James was the mammy. She raised the children of the Hunt Morgan family, including John Hunt Morgan. And he brings her pack, this pair of red leather shoes. He's killed in the war about a year later. And as the legend goes, Mambette, as she was called, wore those red leather shoes for the rest of her life. We know she dies there in Hopemont in the 1870s, carried out the front door there and laid in Lexington Cemetery. A generation or so later, another branch of the Hunt Morgan family is living there. And it's a dark day. Uh, they have a very sick little boy. He's up in the third floor nursery. That's Bouvette James' old stomping grounds. They have hired a night nurse to keep watch over the little boy. And somewhere deep in the night, the night nurse falls asleep. And she wakes with a jolt to the sound of humming. Now, the humming isn't coming from the crib of the little boy. There's someone else in the room with them. The spirit, the apparition, seems to take notice that the night nurse is now awake, simply turns her back, walks a few feet, and disappears into the ether. Um, the little boy, he takes a turn for the worse, and by morning, he has left this world. Uh, the night nurse doesn't know what to say to the family. She eventually gathers up her courage. Uh, she goes back to Hopemont. She asks to speak to the mother of the little boy. And she tells this story. She talks about waking up to the sound of humming. She tries to describe the apparition. She tries to describe the ghost. She tells the mother, the night your boy died in the nursery, there was someone else with us. She was so scared, though. Uh, it all happened so quickly. The only thing the nurse knew for sure she saw when the ghost turned around to walk away was a pair of red leather shoes. At this, the mother's face turns white. She knows exactly who that is. That was Bouvette James. Um, and the mother's comforted by this. She believes that was a sign that Bouvette was there to make sure her boy made it safely to the other side. Uh, ever since then, Bouvette James is said to make her presence known whenever there's trouble at Hopemont at the Hunt Morgan house. And that folks walking by Gratz Park late in the evening, catching a glimpse up to the third floor window that faces on Mill Street, uh, they'll see someone looking back. Boo that James, making sure that everything is fine and safe at the Hunt Morgan house. Now, this story, as a historian to me, is really fascinating. You know, where do these ghost stories come from? Ghost stories, of course, they reflect lots of things. They reflect a lot of our fears, our worries, our concerns about life, about death, about the afterlife. But even more than that, they reflect where we are as a society. 
The first time I can find this story ever written down comes in the 1920s. So this ghost story is at least 100 years old. But the fact that it's coming from the 1920s probably tells us a lot about this ghost story. Uh, Things were happening in the South in the 1920s. The generation that had known slavery uh, in the United States for the most part had died off. Uh, The Civil War was being rewritten in lots of ways and the history of slavery. Bouvette James was an enslaved woman. And so when you hear these stories about Bouvette James, a lot of times it comes off almost word for word stereotypical of mid-century and earlier ideas about the good black slave, right? The faithful slave, uh, especially ideas of Mammy. Uh, if you think about Mammy and Gone with the Wind, right? Always protective, always there, always knowing what's going on. In fact, uh, Mammy from Gone with the Wind is supposedly based off of Bouvette James, right? Mammy and Gone with the Wind wears her red petticoats. Uh, Bouvette James famously wore her red shoes. And this is reflective of what Southerners are trying to do in the 1920s, right? Trying to argue slavery wasn't that bad. They were all members of the family, uh, which we know, of course, historically is not true, (laughs) right? That's not the way enslaved folks were treated at all in the South, uh, including Bouvette James. And so this ghost story, I think, uh, was created to reflect that myth Southerners were building uh, in the early 20th century. It'd be really fascinating to see how Lexington's black community tells this ghost story, or if they tell this ghost story, or is this a ghost story that's been told in Lexington's white community? And so like all myths, like all legends, they're not just there for the purpose of entertaining, to keep you up late at night, right? To uh, give you a few uh, goosebumps around a campfire. These stories reflect, right, what the people are thinking about, what they're worried about, how they're portraying the world they're living in uh, when these ghost stories appear. Uh, And so there's always more to it. There's always more to it than just the stories themselves. And that's the thing about Um, Lexington's history, both the true parts and the legends, uh, is that they can have a lasting impact on us, even if we're not that aware of it. And I always consider it an honor, a privilege, really, to get to share that history with folks here in Lexington. We'd like to give special thanks to Dr. Jonathan Coleman for guest hosting our Ghost Stories podcast. If you'd like to take one of his Lexington History walking tours, they are given year-round. You can contact him by email at info at drcolemanwalks.com, by phone at 859-321-4728, or you can visit his website at drcolemanwalks.com.
Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.